0: Thank you Rabbi Silkin of Chazan, it's a, a tremendous schuss to be part of what you do for Klal Yisrael, what you do for the English London Olam, it's a, a real pleasure to be here from Yerushalayim, Mir HaKodesh, talking to all of you, to try and share some different chizik in what's going on, and that was what I was asked to discuss, and shemit Hashem it should be a tremendous schuss, and a Yeshua for all of Klal Yisrael around the world, wherever they are. I want to tell you about a Yid. His name was Sholem. He lived at the time of the Heiliger Baal Shem Tov, And he made his parnossa by selling arak, lika. liquor. And one day, as the Baal Shem Tov famously did, he went around from town to town to visit Yidin, to be mechazik Yidin, to collect money for various things that he did. And he stayed in the house of this Sholem. He was very happy to host the at Sadiq. The Baal the children in the house are excited. Wow, what an opportunity we have to host at Sadiq the Baal And he told them stories, and he told all the children, tremendous chizik about everything that went on. It was unbelievable. A few weeks into the stay, he says to his host, I'm terribly sorry, but my time has come. I need to start moving to the next town. I need to start continuing to collect in wherever I'm going. I've got a sum that I have to collect. So the host says, please do me a favor. How much is it that you collect? He says approximately 100 rubles. He says, stay another day. I'll give you the 100 rubles. I'll give you the 100 rubles that you collect. Just stay in my house. Please, it will be a, such a source to have you. And the and the Bal-shem-tuh says, sure, no problem. He stays. And then he says to him, you know what? Stay another day. And every day he pays him another 100 rubles and a 100 rubles. And slowly but surely, he's using everything up from all of his accounts, from all of his savings, until he basically has nothing left. Until so the only thing that he has left is a precious stone. Very, very precious stone. And what happens is he says to Balshentov, do me a favor, give me half a day, I need to collect the money for this stone, I'm gonna sell it, anything to have you stay here. And he sold the stone, and he gave the money to the Balshentov, and the Bolshentov stayed there. Eventually, there was nothing left. His house was bare. Not a penny, not a morsel of food, nothing. Baal said, Okay, I've got to be off to my next destination. And off he goes. And then he leaves his next destination. He's, Shalom and his family are, What are we going to do now? We've got no nasa. We're totally stuck. We're in the dark over here. The children went to sleep hungry. And Shalom and his wife turned to the Rabboi Nishalolam. And they davened to some salvation. At that moment... He was interrupted by a banging on the front door. There was a bunch of drunkards over there. And they were demanding drinks. They knew that he was the destination for good drinks. But he said, there's no Arak. There's nothing. I'm sorry. It's all cleaned out. I had a rabbi here. It's gone. And they said, no, we're not leaving until you give us something. Show me the empty barrels. He showed them the empty barrels. He said, you know what? Fill it with water. At least we'll have something. We'll enjoy some kind of taste of liquor. And Shalom, the innkeeper, did exactly as they said. And they started enjoying their drinks. They threw coins in his direction as some payment and moved on. Years later, the Volshemtov was once again passing in this very town. And he started looking and asking, where is this man, Shalom, that I once stayed in years ago? And he, they found out that he was a very rich man in a huge house. The Volshemtov knocked on the door was ushered into the most beautiful marble foyer, smartly dressed butler was there, and he waited for the master of the house to arrive. And suddenly he does, and he comes in and he he honors his his honored guest, he he greets him and says, thank you so much for coming, that's incredible. And they sit down and they schmooze, and he said, Rebber, I have a question for you. With all the covert, with all the respect that I have for you, I have a question. Why did you leave me with Nothing. You left me with nothing. I was, I had a children to feed. You knew you were taking me day by day, all of my money, all of my supplies, all of my savings, everything was gone. Why did you do that? And the Valshem smiled and he said, My fellow Jew, I want to tell you something, Rabshalem. I saw that you were destined to merit tremendous wealth. Tremendous bracha was coming your way. But the only thing that was holding you back was your dependency on those little precious stones that you kept under your bed in the safe as a safekeeping that one day if I need it, I've always got money. And your dependence on that stopped the bracha coming in your life. As long as I got rid of that which you depended on, all of a sudden the bracha could come into your lives. The Vilna Goin writes in the Sefer Bukhah Selio, Baba Kama, He says, you know what the challenge of real Emunah and Betochen in our lives is? He says, it's so easy for a young child. A young child doesn't know, can't do anything, is totally dependent on its parents, understands everything comes from the Rabbani inshallah, and therefore has full trust in Hashem. It's only when a child gets older, and when a child gets older, starts depending on itself, the work that I do, the efforts that I put in, everything's about me. And therefore, all of a sudden, the Emunah Betochan slightly goes down. And it's why, says the Vilna Goin, the Beis Hamikdosh, the Kuruvim, that we know the Gemarayan Sukkah tells us, was shaped like a child. Because the Emunah, the Betochan that a child has, is so incredible, that it's a lesson for all of us. You know, we're going through a difficult time now, I've spoken about this in so many different situations to so many different people. But it's the same thing over and over again. And I find so often that the parishes that we have, parashas as Shavua, talk to us. The Chumash talks to us in every generation. The Chumash isn't just a storybook of everything that happened with history. It's talking directly to us. The parasha that we just had, most of us didn't hear it in a shul, was Parashas in Kedoshim. In Parashas Achreimus, the post says, right in the beginning of the parasha, va'al eis el Hakodesh," that the coin shouldn't always come in to the Kodesh, says Rashi, you know why? Because he becomes rugged. He becomes so so accustomed to it, that it doesn't mean anything to him anymore. There's an incredible yaivetz on Pirkeiobo's where the Yaivitz says, and I'm not going to go into the whole thing, he brings a posuk in Yecheskel, that says that when a person was oil regel, that they used to have the schus, and the will also have the schus soon, coming up Yontav of Shvuz. And they had the schus of being oil regel of going up to the Yushalayim, to see the Beis HaMikdash, to bring their fruits, to bring everything to the Beis HaMikdash. Says the posuk in Yecheskel, the Yaivitz explains, and he says, That with the the same door that the man used to go into, he should not leave. In other words, he should leave and exit in a different door than he originally entered. Shouldn't be the same door. Why? Says the Yavits, what's the difference? He walks in, he walks out. Why does it have to be a different door? Explains the Yaivetz, a beautiful idea. Because again, it's going to be considered like the door of his house. It's going to be normal. Alright, I went in this door. I leave this door. Habit. Reb Chaim Shmulevet Zatzal, the sheshiva of the main yeshiva, said the biggest obstacle that prevents a person from growing is habit. The fact that we're habit to something. And that's exactly what's going on right now. The Reboi Yashiladim has said, stop. Stop the habits. Stop your regular lives. Stop the chasanas than the way they regular were. Stop everything. The world has come to a complete standstill. Because habit stops us from growing. And only when we take a step back and we think to ourselves, wow, what a world we have. What a Rabbi we have. It's almost like we go through our lives without ever thinking. I said this so many times of a, of a person that goes to a petrol station to fill up petrol. And he's leaning on his car, drinking a can of Coke as he's waiting for the petrol to be full. And he sees a very interesting sight. He sees two workers, government workers, you know, with the yellow highlight jackets. And they're standing on the side of the work and on the road there, they seem to be, they seem to be doing very interesting work. He can't figure out what they're doing. So after he finishes paying for the petrol, he gets in the car and he drives over there and he says, I've got to check this out for myself. And he goes over, he sees such an interesting thing. He sees this one guy with a spade and he's digging a hole. And he's there, he's busy digging the hole, the whole thing, making like a little hole. He moves on to the next spot in the, in the, in the side of the road. And the guy behind him takes the earth with his shovel and fills the hole that the first guy just made. And the guy's like, one second, we pay taxes for a reason, yeah? What on earth is going on over here? One guy is digging a hole, the other guy is filling the hole. What's the purpose of this? So he says, excuse me sir, what are you doing? Oh, he says, that oh, you so excited? Somebody actually asked him about his very important work. He says, I'll tell you what it is. There's three of us that work here. There's me, there's Johnny, and there's over him, him, George. Now, Johnny over here is unfortunately not well, so he's not with us today. So he wasn't able to make it to work. So my job is to dig the holes. Johnny, who's sick today, his job is to take like these, these little plants and put them into the holes, which I just made. And then you've got George, whose job is to sort of fill and pat the hole, which was a hole, which now has a plant in it. And then we plant trees along the side of the road, which is wonderful. He says, but, but he's not here today. He says, yeah, but we figured just because Johnny's not here to put the plants in doesn't mean we should stop working. Now, it's an, it's, it's, it doesn't make any sense. But how many of us go through our lives on a daily basis and we, just, we, we don't even realize because we never stopped to think? It's almost like a person that's going on a road trip and he's driving and the guy says to him in the passenger seat, by the way, I think you need to fill out petrol. He's like, no, 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 I don't have time to fill up petrol. We've got to get to our destination. He said, no, but you have to fill up petrol. No, no, I don't have time for that. I've got to fill up petrol. How many of us say the same thing? We don't have time. Our days are so busy. We're so busy running and doing and there's so much to do. But we never stop to think. The Rabbeinu Shalom has put a tremendous chesed in the world. And he's done us a favor of a lifetime. That we'll be able to tell our children and grandchildren that the Rabbi Yishlam gave us time to think. And that's incredible. We all know Rabbi Kiva, of which we're going through now, the Sfira, the Sfira is a time that we mourn, the Talmudim of Rabbi Kiva that left the world. And we know the Gemara tells us in Psochem that Rabbi Kiva, as we know, was a very unlearned person. Not only was he unlearned, he didn't. He, he despised Talmidei Chachamim. And as the officer of Nossam tells us, that Akiva was standing near the well, we all know this, and he saw the indentation in the stone, and he said, how can this be from the water? As the Loshen is, Avonim Shecheikumayim, stones are worn away by water. And he said, if even this water, the soft water, can penetrate the stone, then anything can penetrate my flesh and blood. We have to ask ourselves, Throughout our lives, every single one of us see water and rocks, trials and opportunities, blessings and challenges. Hashem talks to every single one of us, but the question is: Does it penetrate our heart? Does it get anywhere? People fail to see what's going on. You now there are two people that are arguing. This what they saw an animal. They weren't sure what it was. One guy says it's a it's a it's a cat. And the other guy says, no, that's not a cat, that's a bird. No, it's not, it's a cat. And they're arguing back and forth. You know what what the guy says? Let's wait to see if it flies. If it flies, we'll know what it is. Suddenly, this animal took off and flew. And the guy, who until now has been saying it was a cat, was like, that's incredible. I've never seen a cat that flies. Now, that's incredible because sometimes we go through life in the same way. We don't realize what the Rebunishton has done for us and how he creates the world. You know, 2,000 years ago, astronomers believed that there were 200, 2,000 stars in the space, right? Today we know, right, there are over 100 billion stars. Our galaxy is only one of 100 billion galaxies. The Rabbi Shalom created all of these things. It's incredible, there are pictures of stars that are 1.5 billion light Years away. Look what you created. Our galaxy travels 250,000 miles per hour. All the galaxies are rocketing across the sky. And everything's safe. And everything's okay. You know, they they, they discovered the neutron star. Right? There's a star that's condensed in such density. So heavy. That if you would take one teaspoon. One teaspoon of this neutron star. Would weigh three billion tons. You know what that means? That's basically fifty million elephants. That's what it is. Right? And this if this little piece would fall into the world, it would slice through from one end to the other end, but the rebellion shalom says no. That's incredible. The world rotates once in 24 hours. These neutrons rotate 642 times a second. Then each time they emit radio signals, every 1.33731109 seconds, perfection. The Rabbein Shalom has created the world with such perfection. It's almost like I remember that I took my kids and the, the cockpit is open of the aeroplane. And you know, the kids love to see all the dials and everything going on. This is the driver. This is the pilot of the aeroplane. And imagine if one of the kids walks into the the cockpit and he says to the pilot, I have a question for you. The pilot says, sure, what does it ask? That button. What does it do? (laughs) And he smiles. He says, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. That button is connected to that one, which if you turn that one and connect it to that, it's all one big connection. We don't understand it. That's the world we don't understand what's going on in the world, we don't understand what's happening, but we can't understand it. But what we can do is act upon it. What we can do is make it worthwhile, because as I've said so many times before in these times, if we walk away the same person as we went in, then it was quote-unquote a waste. And as somebody called me up recently, he says to me, we don't want things to go back to normal, do we? Because that would be a disaster. I said, you're absolutely right. If things go back to normal, and we just remember this as a period of our history, that's a big shame. You know, once again in the parasha we find, parasha Zacharymos, the Kohen Gadol, went into the Kodesh HaKadoshim. And the Torah says that he should go in totally alone. There should be nobody there. Can you imagine, says from that we're talking about the highest level of avodah. The highest person in the best place on the highest day of the year, Yom Kippurim, he's doing the Avodah and there's nobody there. Nobody's watching him, nobody's witnessing it, nobody sees a thing. What's going on? It says Rosh Pinka, Pinker something which I believe talks to us. He says, because you know why? The highest Avodah is done alone. The Rabbi Nishalayim has put us alone because we can accomplish right now more than we could ever accomplish any other time that we were put into. And he brings a mushal, a beautiful mushal. Imagine if you have a pot of water. You have a pot of water, you put it onto the gas. You switch on the gas. How hot is it going to get? Not more than 100, we all know that. It's not going to get more than 100. I'll switch the gas higher, higher, higher. No, it's not going to get more than 100. It's always going to be 100, at most. With one exception. If you take a pressure cooker... You know, the old-fashioned pressure cookers, you yeah, screw it on, you hope for the best that it's not going to explode and you've got the steam piling up there from the middle. Why well, take one of those? All of a sudden, the liquid goes much, much hotter because it's totally encapsulated. It's totally enclosed. All of us are in that situation. We're totally enclosed within our homes. We're totally enclosed to think about what we are doing on this world. What is our avodah? You know, the Gemara tells us, Hakol chutz me There is only one thing that the Rabbeinu Shalom cannot do, and it's totally up to us, and that's Yerushamayim. Because the Rabbeinu Shalom cannot perfect us. We have to perfect ourselves. And that will be the biggest gift to the Rabbeinu Shalom, that no money could buy, and no other situation could ever, ever demand from us, except for right now, when we're in the enclosure in our homes with a lot more time than we normally have to think about our lives. Mr. Jopinkas brings the marshal of a billionaire. And this billionaire loved sweets. It was an interesting thing. He loved sweets. He goes to fly in sweets on his private jet from every exotic place in the world. For him, sweets were the world. Whenever he could get his hand on a brand new sweet that just came out, that was the world for him. He'd send his private jet. He'd bring in people. It was incredible. One day, his little boy, little boy called Yankee, little Yankee comes home from school and says, Daddy, today we had a party. Daddy says, Why? What's the reason? He said, Because we started to learn Chumash. Wow, he started to learn Chumash. That's incredible. That's so beautiful. That's amazing. She says, Daddy, you know what? The Rebbe gave out a bag with popcorn and wafers and crisps and sweets. Daddy, I have to tell you, I ate the popcorn, I ate the wafers, and I ate the crisp. I even ate most of the sweets, but I, ate, I left one sweet just for you, because I know that you love sweets. Says Rosh Hashem Pincus, there is no money that can buy such a sweet that was given by an innocent child with a simcha that he has of starting Chumash. That's what the Rabban for wants from us. He wants us to give of ourselves to him. You know, the Kedas Yitzchak, we talk about the Arcadia Kitzchok so much. We talk about it in Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur throughout the year. The incredible Messiris Nefesh that Avraham Avinu did to offer up his one and only son. And it's incredible. If you think about it, we are still gaining. Adayoy Mazet 2020, Tov We're still gaining from the Arcadia Kitzchok. Now, I want to ask you a question, and I've asked this question on numerous occasions. And the answer is always the same. If you woke up in the morning. And there was a little note next to your bed. And it was from the Rabboni Shalala. And the Rabboni was telling you, I would like you to go and offer up your son, shech to your son. It makes no sense. It's difficult. We don't understand it. But we know it came from Hashem. And I asked many people, would they even have a question? Would they do it? And everyone said, yeah, I would do it. I would do it. If I knew 100% it came from Hashem, I would definitely do it. So then I said, one second. So why is Avraham Avinu praised? Wow, Avraham Avinu, you're incredible. Look at you. You offered your only son. We would do the same thing. If God told us, we would do it. So what's Avraham Avinu being praised for? Explains the Vilma going, Shulchan al hara many of the, uh, the authorities that explain, when they bring this down, they say, beautiful idea. You're right. Avraham Avinu would have done it. We all would have done it. But a Avinu wasn't actually... Um, given reward for what he did. Because we all would have done the same. He was given reward for how he did it. By Avrom Baboyke. He got up in the morning. If we had such a test, we should never know of such a test. If we had such a test, we would get up in the afternoon, maybe go out for ice cream together, chill for a bit, schmooze for a bit. We'll do it later. Avrom says, no. The Rabbani says, I'm doing it now. Says the Vilna Gain, he was rewarded for how he did it. And that's a tremendous thing. So many of us. We know what we are. We know what we can do. But we don't appreciate it. You know there was a girl. Here in seminary. I'm going back already. Probably even 30, 40 years ago. She was in seminary. And she was told. I'm going to cut the story very, very short. Because we've got limited time. She was told. By her mother that basically the that the her, the, her mother went through a certain procedure to become Jewish wasn't correct, and therefore, basically, this girl in seminary was a guy, was not Jewish. So basically, what they did, they went to a Velyashiv Zatzal. where Velyashiv said to go to a certain basin, they went to a certain based and they made her Jewish. But they told her to bring her friends along. And her friends from seminary came to give her moral support, and the Dayanim sat there and they said, Tell me, are you sure you want to be Jewish? Absolutely. Are you sure because of this? And they started going through the list of things. Of what a Jew has to keep and what a Jew has to be careful of. And she says, yes, 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 I want to do it. And the girls who accompanied her said, you know, that's incredible. Because now we have a different appreciation of Yiddishkeit. Now we're going to say a brachon in a different way. Now we're going to say thank you to the from in a different way. Because we had that appreciation. I sat with a gear. I sat with a gear from London. Going back about two years ago. Incredible story, which again, I'm going to cut short just because of the time. From the age of three, and he told me this himself, he sat with me. From the age of three, this guy wanted to become Jewish. And he wanted everything to do with Jewish people. He told me he used to run into the streets and find Jewish people and hold their hands. His parents were, are you crazy? What are you doing? Get away from those people. At the age of seven, his parents found him in a library, reading books about Judaism, history of the Jews. His parents couldn't believe it. What they did is, they took him, they threw him into the basement, and they left him there. They threw him down, bread, water, and milk, and they left him there for six months. Okay, The boy told me the story himself. For six months, he remained locked in the basement. When the locals, the neighbors saw, where's this young little seven, eight-year-old boy bubbling around? He, he's been missing. And they were very worried for his life. They called the authorities, they called the police, the police did a search. And they found him alive, not so well, but they found him alive in the basement. He went to hospital. Eventually, he got taken to his grandparents. He tried to go to shawls, they threw him out. You can't imagine what he went through. Eventually, when he became a gayer, he had to wait till he was 18, because his parents didn't get permission. So the only time that he could have a Basmila was the age of 18. So here he is, he's telling me the story together with the person he's staying with, who was there at the time himself, when he became a Jew. And he said he couldn't have a minion because it wasn't sneers; he was all over the age. There were three Rabbonim from the local based in, and the man who's telling me the story, who looked after him. He said, and he told me this himself, right before they did the brismila. He said, <speaking in Hebrew> I'm doing this for you, I'm doing this for you, Again and again, the Rabbonim had tears streaming down their eyes. Look at this guy, look at Mesiris Nefesh he has for Yiddishkeit. And we have to ask ourselves, what Mesiris Nefesh we have for Yiddishkeit? What Mesiris Nefesh we have for the Rabboni Shalala? When we are going through its sorrow, what do we look at? What do we look for? What's the situation? It's so difficult. I want to tell you an unbelievable thing. One of the most inspiring and heroic chapters of the Holocaust was a group of Hasidic men. And they were known as the Matisovim. And they were led by a, a Yid called Matis Gelman. Matis Gelman was a young man who became religious only as a teenager. When Matis Gelman turned 15, he had a chance to meet with the Chotkev Rebbe. And after he met with the Rebbe, he decided that, I want to become religious. His parents discouraged him, what are you doing? This new lifestyle. They eventually got rid of him from the house. Matis fled to Poland. He became a Gerichosid. It was there that he impacted the lives of tens of young men, brought them to levels of Messius Nefesh and commitment to the Raboyni Shalala. The Germans, Yamak stormed through Poland and conquered the entire country within just a few weeks of his arrival to Poland. The Polish army was simply no match with the German fighting machine and immediately anti-Semitic decrees went out regarding how the Jews could act, how they could work, how they could dress and how they could even walk. One of the decrees was an edict against Jewish men having a beard and pants. Many were forced to shave off what they had considered to be the badge of honour as a Jew and on occasion German officers mocked the Jews and cut their beards off. And this year. Refused to comply, and he could persuade other people not to comply. We refused to remove our beards. This refusal, you have to understand, meant that basically these people could never be found in public. These people had to stay hidden away, and they had to go out for food only late at night. But they maintained their commitment not to shave. Matas himself inspired all his Hasidim, all his followers, to defy the orders by instilling them with a tremendous message. He said our oppressors can never take away our neshamas. Realising that death was just a matter of time away, he rationalised, we're going to die anyway. Let's die with a gemara in our hands, looking like a Jew, with the words of Hashem's Torah on our lips. This group hid in the basement and bunkers would go out would go for long periods of time without food. At night, there would always be someone who was designated to sneak out and he would find some scraps, bring it back to the others. But eventually, the ghetto was almost empty. There were no Jews that were left. Hoping to smoke out the last few rebels, the Nazis and Maksimom set building after building on fire. The fire spread quickly throughout the ghetto. Within a day or so, there would be nobody left alive. After the war, a notebook was found. With the final record of one of the heroes who died, one of the Matisovim. And the following entry was the last entry that was recorded in this diary. I am now alone. Nobody else is left here with me. The suffering we have experienced over the last few days is unimaginable. Most probably the flames will consume me within the next few hours. The thick and suffocating clouds of smoke are seeping through the cracks into the room I am hiding. No doubt, it is permissible for me at this point to give up my life and end my life by jumping into the flames of the fire. I have fallen hard This would enable me to forfeit the rest of my battle and therefore my pain. But, he continues to write, I recall the famous story that was once recounted by the Chofetz Chaim when he lost a child. The story took place during the time of the Spanish Inquisition. The identity of one of the Moranos had finally been revealed and he was forced to take his family and flee on a moment's notice. Having to leave all of his wealth and riches behind, He made his way through the secret tunnel into a ship and ended up in Morocco. Once he was there, he settled temporarily with a group of fugitives and other escapees. The surroundings were pitiful and soon deadly infectious disease broke out. One son got sick and died and then another and then another. Finally, his wife come to the same illness. It was impossible to comprehend a few short weeks before he'd been a wealthy man with a beautiful family living in the lap of luxury. He had nothing. He would not complain. But in great pain he called out, "Rabbi Nishalaylam, what more do you want to take from me? What more do you want to do to me that I should stop believing in you? Almost all of my fellow Jews have been forced to flee our homeland. I was forced to leave my palace home and hide in a dark cellar. And still I loved you. I lost all my money. And still I loved you. You took away my children and my wife. And still I love you. What else do you want to take away from me? That I will not continue to believe in you and love you. I only have two things left. I have my life and I have my faith. The soul is yours and the body is your handiwork. If you want to, you can take them. They're yours. All that remains is my faith. And Rabbeinu Shalalaim, although everything in the world is under your control, there is only one thing that is mine and mine alone, and that's my faith. And that even you cannot take away from me. So if you want, end my life. Now this young man concluded his journal. I debated whether I should jump into the raging flames to end the moments of pain and suffering, but as I prepared to die, I realized now more than ever How precious is every moment that I can spend here on earth. Therefore I will do nothing to shorten my life even by a few minutes for even a second is precious. An extra opportunity to believe in Hashem, to love Hashem. I no longer have my friends or my family. They've been taken away from me. But there is someone left with whom I can spend these last few moments and I want to spend it with you. So I choose you Hashem, I choose to say to you that nothing you do will ever break me. It's here that I choose to crown you, here that I choose to love you. Jump in the flames? Never. I'll continue to fight to be with you, to believe in you, until the very last moment, until I can fight no longer. I will love you forever, dear Father. Rabbi Say, Baruch Hashem, we don't have these Mishenus. And Baruch Hashem, we don't have to suffer the way he did. But what we can gain from this story is an incredible enlightenment, and that is, yes, it's difficult. It's not easy to be in our homes. It's not easy always to be captured into our homes in a way that we can't go out and celebrate with our families and visit our families and spend time with our families. We can't do it. But there is one thing we can do. And as Rosh Hashanah Pinka said in this week's Parashah, you find that. The Koen Godel went into the Kodesh alone because the highest avoider is done alone. Every single one of us have an opportunity to serve the rabbi Yishra and each one according to what we can do to strengthen ourselves in a to strengthen ourselves in thinking about the rabbi Yishra and thinking about what we do those things that we do on a regular basis and we do through habit now we can stop and do them slowly and do them patiently and do them with consideration of who we're doing them for something that perhaps we never got a chance in a regular year to be able to do it's an incredible opportunity. And again, I, I personally thank the Reboi Shalom for giving me that opportunity. And each and every one of us should reach within us and find the wonderful silver lining within the dark cloud. It's difficult times. We hope there will be Yeshua. And we hope, Be'ez Hashem, that every single one of you will be joining us here in Yerushalayim, Irak with the Beis Amigdash, we hope. But until that moment happens, and until we hear the Shofar from outside this window, we have to machazak ourselves in munah, and chazak ourselves in what the Rabboi has given us, in the avoidance Hashem that every single one of us can do, with a new gishmak, with a new excitement, with a new meaning. That's what this time is. And be'ezah Hashem, if we do that, the Rabboi will give us all tremendous bracha in our lives, and a tremendous Yeshua for all of Kalal Thank you for inviting me, and thank you all of you for listening as well.